welcome, 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 welcome to Friends Far and Wide to a gathering of New York Collaborates, which is an initiative that really deeply believes that for Unitarian Universalism to meet the climate challenges of our time, we need to work together. We are so grateful you are here. We are energized, excited, and hopeful for the time that we'll share tonight, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to listen. And our conversation tonight is lighting a chalice that will carry on in other spaces and places through the recording. So wherever you are watching, whenever you are watching, we are glad you are with us in community. I am the co-director of Unitarian Universalist Ministry for Earth in I am a proud New Yorker who is the minister of the UU Congregation of the Hudson Valley, just north of Yonkers. I'm so grateful for you to be with us tonight. And I wanna begin with an opening prayer from the late Reverend Orlando Brugnola. She once prayed, as we move through life, finding ourselves always newly wise and newly foolish, we ask, that our mistakes be small and not hurtful. We ask that as we gain experience, we do not forget our innocence because our experience and our innocence are both part of the whole. And so tonight, on behalf of all of the partners of New York UU Collaborates, New York UU Justice, UU Ministry for Earth, All Souls New York, Fourth Universalist, Welcome. I am so delighted and honored to introduce our moderator for tonight's conversation, the Reverend Audette Fulbright Folson. Thanks, Daniel. And I'm delighted to be able to introduce you to um, our panelists tonight. But let me orient you to what we're going to be doing. We're going to have a conversation. Each of our panelists will uh, take a, a little bit of time as we begin to tell us a little bit about their story, what they bring to this conversation from their experience and what they've learned. Um, and then we'll have some time for questions and answers and we just look forward to a, a rich conversation and the the bios that i'm going to share with you tonight for our panelists please understand they are extremely brief versions of of their bios and they they're not complete in um in that respect but with us tonight um are Rachel Mislevy, who's the climate justice organizer, side with love organizing strategy team of the Unitarian Universalist Association. We have Reverend Susan Carlson, who's the former minister of the Unitarian Church of Staten Island. She was there during Superstorm Sandy and who afterwards served as the disaster response coordinator for the Metro New York area, working with congregations, interfaith organizations and recovery organizations. She now serves on the UU Trauma Response Ministry, holding the portfolio for congregational preparedness workshops. So. Uh, Reverend Dana Worsnop, who's the minister at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Ventura, has responded and ministered through devastating wildfires in Southern California. And Reverend Jim Vanderweel, who's the minister emeritus of the Community Church Unitarian Universalist, responded and ministered through and in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. And so 
Each of these, as you can imagine, has a story to share with us. And what we're going to do is I'm going to invite um, each to speak with us for about five minutes about their experience. And we're going to start with uh, Rachel Miss Levy, who is with the Side with Love campaign. So thanks, Rachel. Sure. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, as as uh, Reverend Dr. Audette said, I'm the climate justice organizer with the Side with Love organizing strategy team at the UUA. And um, for the past five months, we've been hosting workshops and putting together materials um, and webinars and all sorts of things to try to help you use uh, better prepare for uh, climate disasters and better respond to them. And most importantly, I think creating communities of care that will help our, our communities thrive no matter what comes our way. So um, kind of to recap what we've seen this year, I mean, we've had wildfires in New Mexico, Arizona, Nebraska, um, thousands of people have been displaced, um, forced to evacuate. We've seen flooding in California, Alaska, Montana, Texas, West Virginia, Puerto Rico, hurricanes in Florida and Canada. And we used to talk about how I've been in climate work for the past 20 years, and we used to talk about the extreme events that would happen in the future. Um, and now they're really happening every day. Um, sometimes it's hard for me even to look at the news because of all of the things that are coming our way. Um, and as I was preparing for our time together tonight, I was surprised both at how many climate disasters we've seen and also like how many I had forgotten. And I just want to take a minute to honor like how hard it is to be living in these times, um, how easy it is to get overwhelmed and how important it is that we stay connected to each other and to the hope that the future can bring. Um, and so I, I want to thank you all for coming together in community tonight uh, for all of those reasons and more. So with grounding in the first to the eighth principles, I believe that UUs are uniquely prepared to create beloved community in our neighborhoods and in our towns, which is exactly what we need in the face of a changing climate. We can transform our communities and our world by learning, acting, and reflecting on the risks, who is most impacted, how our communities are affected, and what we can do to respond and how we can prepare. So as I mentioned, um, actually, maybe I didn't mention this already, but earlier this year, several UU organizations came together around a shared theme of climate force displacement, human rights, and resilience. And I'll drop a link to that um, in a minute here. Um, and so each one of our organizations sought to uh, figure out how to live the that, you know, that um, shared theme, how to put that into action. And so what we did, um, was again hosting these webinars and workshops on fostering climate resilience through disaster response and community care. We created frameworks to help congregations at every step along the way, um, from assessments and making connections to mobilizing for action. And I uh, hope I get the opportunity to unpack that a little bit more later. Um, but I just want to emphasize really that just as the impacts of climate change differ for each community, the solutions are equally unique. Solutions must be informed by the needs and realities of those most impacted by the potential or actual climate disasters. And so with all of that in mind, we created a toolkit that's chock full of resources and activities to help you use, organize our congregations and our communities to um, prepare for and respond to climate disasters in ways that center the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And if you do nothing else after our time together today, I would just please ask you to look at the toolkit when we're done. Um, I'll drop a link to it in the chat when I'm done speaking, but it really has something for every step of your journey in this work. 
And so um, when I ask myself, what can we as people of faith do to create communities of care in the face of climate disaster? Um, I try to think about how we can use our, our gifts to offer love, to work for justice, to heal injury, um, to create joy for those around us and really recognize our mutual independence with all life. So we can take these actions that are grounded in justice, guided by wisdom and sustained with hope. And uh, hopefully we can do that together today. So I'll drop the links that I have in the chat in just a second here and uh, pass it on to the next person. Fantastic, thanks, Rachel. I wanna go next to Dana and invite you to share. Well, hello. Um, I am really happy to be here with you from the um, opposite side, at, um, you know, part of the country. Though um, I just have to say that both of my parents grew up in New York, my father in Brooklyn and my mother in Queens. So, hey, I got my roots in New York um, as well. Uh, so I am the minister of the Unitarian Universalist Church in Ventura, which is on the coast of uh, California between LA and Santa Barbara. And, um, you know, we have been dealing with this. So it's in, in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties in particular are have some of the most persistent drought levels of any part of California. Uh, and there's some particularities about how that came, comes to be. But in California, we've been dealing with drought for decades, and it is clearly just getting worse. Um, and it was actually December 4th on 27, in 2017 that the Thomas fire uh, started. And I remember coming out actually of a city council meeting and the sky was glowing and um, ash was already starting to fall because the Santa Ana winds, which are east winds, coming off the desert that are just, that are so dry that they suck the last little bit of uh, moisture that might be left in any of the vegetation, just sucks it right on out. And then if any fire starts, it blows it super fast. And within eight hours, um, that fire had actually burned within a quarter mile of my house and we all evacuated. Um, that fire was um, uh, for less than a year, the largest fire in California history. And it's been supplanted uh, from that top spot multiple times since then. Um, and it since it moved so fast, uh, uh, that, you know, and people had to just evacuate as quickly as possible. We, um, you know, hotels and the various things that we had filled up really, really quickly. And so the members of the church just um, all, many of them just went straight to the church. They knew that that would be a place that um, would be open to them. And that night we had, uh, oh, I forget how many people, um, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people from the church. Uh, we had a room with cats in it. We had a room with dogs in it where people just sort of brought bedding, sleeping bags, whatever, and um, just uh, knew they could stay the night. Um, also, uh, the, uh, the congregation has done a lot of work uh, with uh, the homeless around issues of homelessness. And so we know a lot of people and a lot of people know us and at least two people who we didn't know well at all um, just showed up and figured that the church would be a place that they could be, they could find refuge. And we just said, sure, come on in. And they threw sleeping bags down in another corner of the church. And, um, uh, and among the people who came right away was the board president and his wife. 
And, you know, uh, we all uh, woke up uh, the next morning and by eight the next morning, the entire staff had assembled and we all just pulled out uh, directories and called every member of the church who lived in the fire zone um, It and um, just to check in just check in. How are you? Offer assistance if needed. Um, and all of those, we finished all of those calls by mid-morning and all of the humans in the church were fine. Uh, five people lost homes. And in one, in one case, it was somebody who actually lost a couple of her animals that um, she lived way up in a valley somewhere north of Ojai, which is inland from us. And um, she couldn't get out fast enough with all of her critters. Um, so that was that was a devastating loss. Um, and then, you know, also we did that. We checked in with people. We sent out emails saying, you know, come on by church, whatever, and figured out what to do next. Um, oh, and somewhere in here, I'm forgetting uh, uh, the exact timing, um, but we've been looking back and reading things. Somewhere in here, I got a call from Reverend Chris Bell, who was in Santa Rosa, which is in Northern California, and they had just been, um, they had just had a really, really bad fire that burned a whole lot of the city of Santa, um, uh, of, uh, Santa Rosa, and he just called me out of the blue and said, you know, here, here's how and he said, open the church, just open the church, just let people come. And that's what we did. And so we had a religious educator who had started her job just three months before. And the schools were closed because the air and the schools stayed closed for a while. The air quality was horrible for two weeks. Um, and we just got word out to families and opened the church. And we kind of had um, uh, just a place to drop by. You could drop your kids off, go run errands, do what you needed to do. Um and so, uh, and then families told school, family, friends, et cetera. And we were just open for about a week, um, you know, offering respite for folks. Um, so, um, and, you know, and from that we had, uh, I don't know, three or we got, we got some RE teachers, people who did not know that they could work with kids just came and played some games and said, Hey, wait a minute, this is fun. Gained several new families to the church because, that they could see um, what we had done. And is it five minutes? Okay. Um, because yeah, thank you. Um, can I just add one last thing that uh, one great gift to the whole thing was we, we the, the UUA's disaster relief fund was amazing. And they just, you know, uh, gave us money and said, help people. And when we had, and, and help community partners. And when I, we had already done that and spent the, the money, I went back to them and said, well, we can give you some of this back. And they said, don't give it to more people, you know, just give it out to your, your congregation and to the community. And that was a great gift too. Thank you so much. We're going to have more opportunities to talk about that, but that helps paint a picture. It's very helpful. I want to turn now to Jim, um, if you can share with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be able to be here and um, think that I am here because during my 15 years at Community Church, we had Katrina in 2005 and the Deepwater Horizon explosion, the undersea geyser in 2010. I have a lot to say. I would echo the words I just heard of the support 
from the UUA after the storm. Without that support, community church and many of the UUs in New Orleans would have never had a chance to come back. A lot to say, three points. Be yourself, be present, be engaged. Be yourself. Post-disaster days are filled with waves, physical waves. New levels of damage appear over time. All of them are disconcerting. Emotional waves. Those in disaster zones can move from sorrow to joy in a minute or joy to sorrow. Waves within family, among friends, among church members. Everyone has lived through the disaster and its aftermath. Gathered communities are an important backbone for people through this process. A UU congregation or a local 501c3 are necessary components to maintain the integrity for you as a person. My first post-K task was contacting my congregants, email, phone calls. They found ways to help each other. For a while, 23 people stayed in one house. Then as each of them processed their way back to their own home, they felt supported and affirmed by church members and shared in their community around them, the love they had developed in and through that togetherness. Be present, pay attention to today's issues, what you hear on the streets, read in the paper, hear on local talk radio. As Eckhart Tolle says, be here now. Then after that, what can I do? Who do I know? Who can help me make things better now? Post Katrina, CCUU supported a Vietnamese community who objected to a dump located close to their homes. African-American residents of New Orleans who objected to a school site for construction top an old chemical dump. We brought trumpets and drums for the Red Flame Hunters who began their after-school program with homework before working on their Mardi Gras costumes. And when we heard about Days for Girls, sold menstrual hygiene products that helped keep young African girls in school, and much more. Be engaged. Two steps I can think of here. There was a call for greater public engagement I heard in seminary, a call for reaching out to others, those on the margins, as I heard. And as we set aside, in, and at that time, to set aside any preconceptions we may have as Unitarian universes, versalists of our own self-importance and listen to the concerns of the people on the margins. All of us, a big us in this world, deserve to be heard. The open door swings in most definitely, and we pray for that, but it also swings out, out toward the beloved community. The outreach from some of our UU congregations greatly succeed exceeds that of others. I know that, but the world is out there. I am greatly pleased to have found in my retirement, the Unitarian Church of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, a church that shows up because we do not show up. Because if we do not show up, how can we expect to get anything done? And as I've often shared with my climate action compadres, if we don't bring the global warming message to our legislatures, legislators, who will? We live in the belly of the beast in Louisiana. It's up to us to bring the message. You may ask, is there any payoff? Absolutely. 
when Community Church celebrated the completion of their new sanctuary, was going to open it with a church festival. The Red Flame Hunters, middle and high school youth from New Orleans East, volunteered to lead a second line at the conclusion of the service. And we New Orleanians were pleased beyond belief. That would not have happened in 2002, but it did in 2010. And one Sunday morning, after inviting guests, we had a fellowship-sized church to introduce themselves. A woman rose and said, my name is Winfred. I am from Kenya. Thank you for helping the young sisters in my community stay in school complete their education and become leaders in their communities. Your help has been amazing. And I thank you and bring that thanks from 100 young women who appreciate your care and your thoughtfulness. Now, all of this is always in process. As we know, nothing changes quickly. But over the long haul, those engaged in building a better world become known appreciated and loved. Be, pre be yourself, be present, be engaged. I thank you for your attention. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And now Susan, I want to invite you to share your story. Ah. Well, thank you so very much. I am honored to be with folks from so many different facets of Unitarian Universalism and also um, to be back. Um, it feels kind of like I'm back with my New York, uh, New York folks and I, I really miss you a lot, really do. And you'll hear a bit more about why. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to give a little different perspective, although everything that Dana and Jim said, I could just, it just brought up all kinds of feelings and um, just uh, all kinds of mm, just experiences that I went through in my congregation. But I was serving the Unitarian Church of Staten Island as their minister when Superstorm Sandy struck. New York and New Jersey and basically the whole East Coast, the Atlantic Coast on October 29, 2012. I went on to work as the Central East Region's Disaster Response Coordinator under a grant from the UU Congregation at Shelter Rock. Um, and working with community-wide recovery efforts, bringing Unitarian Universalist groups to volunteer and also helping to educate people about the impact and the interweaving of climate change and justice in all of New York City and New Jersey. And I'm sure um, it goes for California and it certainly goes for uh, New Orleans and the whole Gulf Coast. Um, when I was the disaster response coordinator, I would often turn to two publications that came out. And that time, one was called A Tale of Two Sandys. And it was about all the things that were exacerbated, that all, all problems that already existed before the storm struck, like affordable housing issues, poverty, low employment, 
unequal access to services and to recovery, I mean, all of those things already happen. Then there was another publication put out by Make the Road New York, uh, immigrant group in New York. <clears throat> it was called Treading Water. And in Treading Water, they delved into the issues with low-income renters. And I emphasize that low-income renters finding affordable housing and how it particularly impacts immigrant communities and people of color and people who are living with poverty. So I wanna share with you a brief story <clears throat> that they told in Treading Water. This is Juana Luna. She lived in South Beach in Staten Island in a first floor apartment that was completely destroyed by the storm. And after the storm, their rent doubled from $600 to $1,200 each month. Because of the increased rent, the family can barely survive. The situation is especially dire because their daughter has an autoimmune disease creating medical expenses that are harder and harder to meet. So that was part of what we faced, those kind of countless experiences that particularly impacted people. But here's a quote from a director of religious education at First Unitarian Wooster, who brought a youth group to volunteer at the Puspatuck Indian Reservation on Long Island, a people that have lived on that land since 1620. And I knew these people uh, personally, so I get a little of a clamp sometimes, a little emotional here. So this is what she wrote. Here on Puspatuck Indian Reservation, many people have lived here their whole lives. Generations of families living in the same land. This is their home. They have no intention of leaving. The youth in their youth group that came there formed lasting bonds with each other and created new connections with the Unkachog people. But most importantly, she writes, we are able to stand before you today as witnesses of the work that needs to be done, not just on Long Island or in Puspatuck Reservation or in Wendy's property, but in our community where there are neighborhoods of people in need. The youth are challenging this church to become connected, compassionate and active community servers in our city. Are we up for the challenge? My friends, I ask you that same question. Are we up for the challenge? Because this is something that really hits for all of us. There are several things that came up for me um, with UU congregations and their involvement. The first thing is long-term recovery groups. Do you have long-term recovery group or can you form one or be involved with one? Be prepared, consider a congregational assessment with the UU Trauma Response Ministry, learn climate related justice issues, and then learn about the particular issues in the area that you're in and how those relate. And I can say a whole lot more, but that's my time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all. And I do hope that we'll, you know, what will happen next is we'll have some opportunity to unfold and blossom out some of what you began with. But I think this is uh, an extraordinary start because 
as we listen to these stories, it's a very embodied sense of um, how rapidly things can emerge and how um, widespread the both the the harm but also the solutions and the relationships that might save us and so uh with the time that we have left i have a couple of questions that and i'm going to go around and i'll just um invite you probably in that same circle so that we hear voices um consistently but combining two questions that i have in mind um one is that each of you has already experienced uh, moving through or working with communities that have been directly impacted by disaster. So you already know the deep urgency, but some communities have not felt that urgency um, personally. So what do you think are some of the strategies we can help as, uh, as we talk to each other so that um, communities can prepare in advance and alongside that, so as you think about how do we communicate the urgency of, of the need, what what do you wish you had known before the first time you encountered it? And Rachel, I re realize this question may look differently to you than for some others, but I'm sure each of you has some version of this answer. So, but I'd love to start with you, Rachel. Sure. Um, I wonder if I can share my screen real quick. Is that possible? So, As I mean, I you, you're can, a co-host, right? Do you, do you have that access? Um, looks like I do. Okay, I just wanted to share. Um, do you see a frameworks for fostering climate resilience? Excellent. So um, when I mentioned the the toolkit and the resources and the website or the webinars and all the things that we've been doing, they've all been orienting around this framework that Reverend Renwa Hamami and I put together. And so, you know, when you asked like almost like, how do you get people to start? Like, how do we communicate the urgency of the need? You know, how do we get people to care? The very first step from my my perspective um, is really identifying what your climate threats are. So a lot of folks know that, you know, there's, you know, maybe wildfires or floods and, and it can be kind of general, um, but take the time to figure out almost like at the hyper-local um, level, what disasters look like in your community. So the community I lived in for you know 20 years before where I'm at now, um, we had floods regularly and there were neighborhoods that were destroyed by the floods. And then there were neighborhoods that went off with no damage at all. And so when you're thinking about disaster response and preparedness, you need to understand what the threat is. So in that situation, that's the floods of just one of the many situations where floods were an issue for that community who's most impacted, how and where. And so when you when you know that, then you understand, um, and it's hard to ignore the justice elements of it because the folks who are gonna be in those neighborhoods who are gonna be most impacted already have, um, you know, a lot of systemic uh, racism and other injustices that they're dealing with, their health issues. Most people uh, in my situation that, I, you know, and what I hear regularly are renters or transient populations um, that already have uh, way more that they're up against than a lot of the neighbors and, and, and where a lot of UU churches are. So you have to figure out who are the people who are most impacted, how and where um, to be able to put together some kind of response that isn't just centering your congregation's needs. You, know, you figure out how to take it. And there's a lot you can do on your congregation in your building. 
but how much better if you can take it outside of your building and make it something that will build resilience in your whole community. Um, and so I don't have a what I wish I knew because I, I'm not speaking as somebody who's gone through one of these major disasters, but I'll tell you what I wish I knew right now or what I wish I know right now, and I hope you all can help me with this, is what do you use need to be able to organize around these issues? What more can we provide for you beyond the webinars and the workshops and the toolkits? And please be in relationship with me and, and tell me what your questions are so we can help you um, to respond. Thank you. That's incredibly helpful. Uh, Dana, can you speak to us from your experience? Yes. And, um, you know, it's just, I don't know what I wish I'd known sooner. Uh, what I do know now is just that this stuff turns on a dime. And I don't know that there is a way to prepare in certain, you know, there are certain kinds of things we can do, but they could happen at any moment. You know, California is known about earthquakes, but they keep not happening. So um, uh, part of is of it is just to know that this is going to, uh, these kinds of things happen without a whole heck of a lot of warning. And then as somebody said, you know, they hit in random, they hit um, unequally. Uh, and you never know. In Ventura, it was all the houses up on the hills that burned um, more than um, it. So it didn't affect the people down in the the fire didn't. But what did affect the people down in the flatlands, um, which, which get flooded more, was we have so many um, uh uh, farm workers, and many of whom are undocumented. And so what we learned afterward was that we need to uh, reach out to the undocumented population in particular, because they are, they, they're not eligible for a lot of services, and even some who are, are worried about accessing them. And so we, we deepened some of our uh, uh, relationships with that population and the people serving those populations. And um, I, I, you know, I am one who, um, you know, you can, all the best plans can be made ahead of time and that you possibly can, and it's never going to work out that it's never going to happen that way. And so both preparing and then an awareness of you just show up and do what's in front of you when you can. We focused on our taking care of our people first, and then we got to spread that out. So um, I don't know. That's that's my response so far. Mm -hmm. And one thing I heard in your story as well was the value of um, when the minister who had already gone through something similar contacted you and shared knowledge. So being able to pass that kind of knowledge on and just support, right, even from far away, can make such a difference, like the UUA support. Thank you. Jim, Jim, what does your experience teach us? It's hard to know how to uh, answer this because I was blindsided. I think our church was blindsided. And um, I read a lot on, um, I was given a volume on trauma response, uh, 250 some pages, and I read it all. Uh, in the midst of making telephone calls, because my primary responsibility as minister, I felt, was to be in touch with the members of the congregation. 
Uh, one of our members uh, didn't have any email service for about three weeks after the storm. And all of a sudden, she um, reached, uh, she had email service back, and she realized that she had thousands of emails, most of them for church members. <laughs> you know, so it's the, it's the homogeneity of the community, I think, that's very important. Um, but in the midst of that, I think one of the things that surprised me was um, that I first came over the, uh, the bridge from Jefferson Parish, which was dry, to um, the side of Orleans where the 17th Street Canal had broken and uh, spilled water over New Orleans and came from a parking lot where over the bridge and so saw water around all of these houses in these huge neighborhoods and it went on and on and on. 80% of New Orleans was flooded. Those who lived in the 20% or those of our congregants who lived in Jefferson Parish, many of them did not want to drive through the areas that had been flooded. They held to their security blanket is one way of thinking of it, of thinking, well, I'm dry, it's good for me. And uh, that's indicative to me of so much that we do in American society and as individuals in America is uh, um, expect others to pull themselves up to the bootstraps. But, but how in the world are you gonna do that when your uh, entire, everything is flooded, everything is gone? for many of those around you. And those are the people who you really need, I think, as, uh, as minister, uh, church staff, to serve, first of all, most directly, those whose residences are, are burned or flooded or blown away by a hurricane or a derecho or whatever it might be, because these things are exceeding here um, in this cycle. Um, and um, it's important to be as prepared as you can be beforehand. Let me just leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. And and what you lift up there may, I, I hope we can touch on it when we, if we have enough time for a question about our Unitarian Universalist theology and what it calls us to in moments like this. So, so thank you so much. So Susan, um, can you bring your thoughts? Oh yeah, so many of them though. <laughs> It's, this is something I, I wish we had more of these because um, something that uh, Dana and Jim both kind of referred to and that we often say in the Unitarian Universalist Trauma Response Ministry, and that is if you have been through more than one disaster, you have been through one disaster because each of them is unique. Each of them is different even though they may have some similarities. There are similarities with wildfires and with Katrina, certainly, um, but it's different. And I hit the wall anyway um, when I was responding in my congregation. It was just like over the top, you know, trying to help all my congregation. And then also in the community because I was getting calls everywhere. And sometimes people also do give you well-intentioned calls based on their experience. 
and they want to tell you what will work for you. And I just, at that point, I couldn't hear, I couldn't deal with somebody else's stuff because I was dealing with my own. So I will just put that right where it lies. Um, you know, people sending us volumes of things and then trying to sort out what kind of assistance was needed um, from the UU Superstorm Sandy Fund, which was wonderful for our congregation. But let me point out a few things that are germane here to working in the community as well. And one that I, I mentioned just briefly was the long-term recovery groups. If you have long-term recovery group after some kind of event, then look into that, see how your congregation might be a part of that or how um, you might work with others um, to create one because those are bringing forth all the community, the interfaith community, the social justice, the social service, the first responders. It's bringing them all together to try to heal in your community. The other thing is know what the different interfaith denominations have to offer. Some of them have been doing these responses for, I don't know, decades at least. And they have particular areas of expertise that I could share with you that I learned about, which I wish I had known before. But believe me, we use those. We formed a little interfaith group and we went around um, problem solving different things and addressing different problems that we heard of and lifting up the particular aspects of, in my case, climate change related disasters. And so I think that's very important. You can't do everything yourself. Your congregation cannot, Unitarian Universalism cannot, in spite of all the wonderful things that uh, Rachel and Side with Love has to offer. Um, different places have really uh, honed in on those things. Um, and then know, as I think Jim said, that know your area, know what are the needs of your area, form partnerships. The Green Sanctuary in their criteria over the last decade or so has really emphasized making partnerships with communities, uh, people of color, um, people that are living with poverty, um, all you know, immigrants populations and know what are the particular needs in your community and form those relationships. We had one with at the Unitarian Church of Staten Island, so we just expanded on that. But um, we could have done so much more if we had gone through some of this analysis and some of that work in preparation. And we do have some tools with trauma response ministry to help in the congregational preparedness, although I absolutely agree, you cannot plan for all of this, but still you can be more prepared. Thanks. Thank you all. Uh, it, it's, it's really helpful. And these opportunities to talk about it at least allow us to be thinking ahead, to be, uh, if we're not already in deep relationship or conversation with partners in our community or aware of resources like the many that Rachel's been putting in the chat, I hope you're seeing those. Um, they also live in certain places uh, where you can find them again if you need them. This conversation itself will is being recorded. It'll live. We can revisit it. All of these things are, are opportunities for us to um, prepare, even though I think it's really important to lift up what most of you have said, which is 
every disaster experience is its own thing. And some information may share across experience, but mostly you're going to need to be present, go through what you're going through, find your people, love your people, and create connections. Um, in the time that we have left, and this will probably need to be just a little bit more succinct, I we don't want to walk away from this conversation without addressing um, something else that has arisen from, from what you've shared, which is as Unitarian Universalists, we have a theology. And, and maybe if each of you could speak at least briefly to what you believe our Unitarian Universalist theology demands of us in, in moments of great urgency. What is, it the, what is the one thing that you would want um, at least Unitarian Universalists to hear or to be thinking of as, as we contemplate preparing or taking care of each other in times of disaster or um, great overwhelm? And again, if you feel comfortable, I'm gonna go through that circle again so we come back to Rachel. Well, as um, not a UU theologian, <laughs> I'll tell you the thing that um, when I came to this work and, and, and thinking about disaster response and how to talk to people about it in a way that um, is more expansive and would encourage more partnerships. I love that Reverend Susan talked about the Green Sanctuary emphasis on partnerships. Absolutely. Working in solidarity, not charity, that, that kind of um, really, really critical uh, mindset when you're doing this kind of work, if you're going to do it right. The thing that really resonated with me is um, uh, centering the inherent worth and dignity of all people. So um, that, you know, to me, it, it's uh, it, like it puts fire in my belly that we, how we need to be doing the work in, in relationship with others in the community. So that's, that's the one I would say is, is what keeps me going in this. Thank you, Dana. So my reflection is a little bit more uh, polity um, and, and might get into a little theology. Um, I, we are an association of congregations and um, remembering that. And that is, so the thing I got a call from uh, somebody in Northern California, the next year, my colleague, just about 20 miles down the freeway, the big, great, big Malibu fire. And um, I called her and reached out to her when that was um, coming through. And then in COVID uh, time, we actually even learned even more, uh, the particular cluster of congregations from San Luis Obispo, um, Santa Barbara and Ventura counties, we are really there for each other. So remembering that we are not, you know, congregational polity means each of our congregations is its own entity making its own decisions, but we are an association of congregations and, and remembering that. Um, and then, um, yeah, I would say something about vulnerability and humility to just uh, uh, theologically, uh, that we there's strength in our vulnerability and remembering that we are vulnerable and um, all of us. And then how do we reach those who are even more vulnerable than we are? So. Thank you, Jim. It, uh, for me, uh, I was most grateful that the Greater New Orleans Unitarian Universalists got together that um, there were congregations that supported the churches, congregations in New Orleans uh, from around the UUA. 
The first gift that we received at Community Church was $23,000, which came from New York City. Uh, and it was like a light bulb went up. Hey, maybe we could do this. $1.3 million later, we had a new building. But uh, that $23,000 from New York was a big help. Um, I brought to this faith a tradition of being raised in the Christian Reformed Church and leaving it because of theological differences with its underpinnings. I studied philosophy. I studied ethics. I was brought to this faith by the second principle, justice, equity, and compassion in human relationships. That, for me, is where we start. And I went back to that over and over, over again, <laughs> because I think it's so important that we remember that we're all God's children, every one of us. And when we do that, we perhaps have the theological grounding to reach out and embrace and welcome in and take care of the rest of God's children. Thank you. Taking care of one another. Well, Susan, that gives you the opportunity to sort of have some of our last words here. Well, uh, you know, certainly what everyone else has said, but I would say um, that interconnectedness and realizing that um, we are so much deeper and there's so much more theological underpinnings when we are connected and realize that what connects us and how what affects one of us affects us all and particularly in the areas of justice and those that are hurting from disasters um, that we are all involved in one another um, and that calls to me to provide love and compassion and accountability that that great word <laughs> have a deep responsibility to each other and to all of life around us. Uh, we're all interdependent. None of us is separate from each other. And so I just want to thank each of you so much for, for taking the time to come to share your stories and your wisdom so that um, we can be thinking about ahead of time, even though you can't fully prepare, you can be more prepared. Um, and I feel like this has been an invaluable conversation for helping us think about ways we might be better prepared for what might come because we all live in this world together and it's inevitable that either we or people we love will be affected by especially the ravages of climate change. And so I'm just deeply grateful to each of you for the conversation tonight. And I will turn it back over to my beloved colleague, Daniel, at this point. I lead us in our closing prayer. Spirit of life and love, bigger than the universe, smaller than a grain of sand, we have heard so many stories tonight, stories to make us cry, stories to inspire us. As we meet this year ahead, this year not written, 2023, give us the grace and strength and presence to be with one another as we encounter all that unfolds. And may we be bold in supporting one another, in disrupting for justice, and for working together for justice, equity, and compassion. May it be so. Thank you for being with us tonight.